We are in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 again. We were in Romans 12, 2 last week. And I said, I might preach on this again next week. I might want to dwell, uh, delve down on that whole idea of renewal of the mind, which I'm going to do. And not only are we going to do that, but on this time and the next time we preach, move forward in this series, I'm going to do that. It's a couple of weeks now because of Easter and stuff. I'm going to do a third one that uh, follows up on this one. So actually, we'll stay here. Uh, we'll actually move to a new text, but sort of flesh out the idea of what we're talking about. Because now we're going to talk about renewal of the mind and heart. But I think what we're, when we talk about that, that is a shift of the whole life to accomplish it. And that's what the, the next one will be. We're going to talk about what that is and then we're going to talk about what it takes for our lives to be shaped in such a way for this to happen. The renewal of the mind, which in these two verses in Romans 12, 1 and 2, are really just sanctification. Let's hear then, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and we'll dwell into this, delve into the idea of renewing our minds. Hear then the Word of God, Romans 12. I appeal to you, the church, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God that I've been talking about for all the rest of the early part of this book, by these mercies to present your bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God because this is your reasonable, your spiritual worship. And do not then be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that with a renewed mind, you might be able to test and discern that you'll discern the will of God. You'll know the truth. You'll know what the will of God is. It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us. We have gathered this morning into your presence to know you, to love you, to worship you, to hear from you. We long for you to transform our minds. And to set us free from that pressure of the world that we may follow Jesus and be more and more like Him every day. Father, I pray that You would cause Your Word to live. That we would know not only the truth of Your Word, but the power of Your Word for the transforming of our minds and our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in... Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Romans 10, the chapter, opened up with this idea talking about Israel, and he said, verse 2, I bear them, that is Israel, Jews, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. But it's not according to knowledge. It was a problem even with God's people, and and Israel has chosen people through the Old Testament. As the Messiah comes, there was a problem. There was a breakdown. They weren't putting their faith and their hope in Him. And there was a breakdown somewhere between the fact that they had a zeal for God and they had God's Word, but somewhere they lacked knowledge and understanding of that Word in a saving way so that they would recognize the Messiah and they would understand what it is to follow. And there's this breakdown between people who have zeal about the things of God but lack real knowledge and understanding of His Word. And his ways. And when we look around, sometimes this may describe the church. At least I see it in various places as I look around. There's awful, awful lot of zeal at times. But sometimes that zeal can be even dangerous if it's not attached to knowledge. It's not attached to understanding. It brought destruction to Israel. This zeal for God that they had, which is a good thing, mind you. 
but it lacked knowledge. It wasn't according to knowledge. Now, the opposite is no better. We understand that knowledge without zeal is just as bad as zeal without knowledge. Right? These two things belong together. There is light in the mind, knowledge, and heat, which is passion, heart, zeal. Right? But light and heat, they belong together. And the problem is that there are different branches of the church who love the light, and it's kind of a cold thing. And there are those who love zeal and they're passionate, but they lack light. Real grounding in the Scripture and the Word of God. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. He says, there must be light in the understanding, as well as an affected and fervent heart. Or where there is heat, an affected and fervent heart, where there is this heat without light, there can be nothing of the divine and heavenly in that heart. If it's just zeal and it lacks knowledge, he says, where there is a kind of light without heat, a head stored full of notions and speculations, but a cold and unaffected heart. There can be nothing of the divine light in that either. These things are never divorced in Scripture. They cannot be divorced in a tr- true knower and lover of God. Light and heat belong together. And so he says, if the great things of religion are rightly understood in the mind, knowledge, truth, the Word of God, if they're rightly understood, he says, it will affect the heart. It will change you radically. It will make you a person of zeal and passion. But these two must be married, and one must flow from the other and belong to the other. Our zeal must be according to the truth of God's word and grounded in it. Light, he says, produces heat. And so biblical understanding, the truth of God's word, can set our hearts and our lives on fire. And produce the kind of heat that we want in our life. And this is one of the reasons I love the old Puritans. There are some of us who like reading some of the old guys. Sometimes I find in, in not the same balance in some of the modern stuff, some of the stuff that has stood the test of time. Some of the, the Puritans were some of the deepest thinkers in Christian history. They've, they've written some of the best and profoundest and richest pastoral theology and understanding and biblical understanding, but it was always married to a passionate love for Christ and a desire to know Him and love Him and serve Him. And that marriage is the Christian way of life. It's how I think about preaching. You know, in terms of what I want to accomplish, you know, preaching is teaching. You know, sometimes I hear this, I don't know, people, and you mean, people mean well. I don't, I don't know if this is something you said. I'm not talking about you. I don't know. Maybe I'm talking about you, but I don't know I'm talking about you. That, that's what it is. But people will sometimes say, oh, well, he's teaching, you know, and he's, but he's really the you know, preacher. And sometimes I'm like, well, in terms of the pulpit ministry, the way I think about the pulpit ministry is it's not less than teaching, right? It should be teaching. It should be light in the mind. It should be God's word opened up and understood. What does it say? What does it mean? It must be light. And that's not something separate than that light. Other, you, know, pr- you know, teaching is, see, I say preaching is not less than teaching, it's more. Right? So in, in terms of that, I, I wouldn't pit them against each other. You have teachers and you have preachers, per se, now, you may have some in other contexts where they are doing more of a pure teaching thing. But I wouldn't think about what the, the teaching project, what's happening here, is less than teaching. It just needs to be more than teaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it like this. What is preaching? And this formed me. I know this, I, this, verse, I, this verse, this quote years ago, and it shaped me. Lo- preaching is logic on fire. Right? It's eloquent 
passionate reason. It is theology on fire. Right? It is preaching is theology or biblical truth and understanding coming through a man who is on fire. Right? That they're, they're married. It's not, oh, you got the logical teacher over here, and then you got the preacher, the guy who has, you know, a little bit of passion over here. Those two things should never be divorced in my mind, or we have something short of what is good biblical preaching. But this is the whole Christian life. What I just described is Christian preaching. Do you understand? Like, that is your whole life. This is what it means for us to love God, is what I just described. Logic on fire. Theology on fire. That, that, that light produces heat, and the two belong together. At least this is what Jesus said. Right? You remember when Jesus says, if you, and this is for every Christian in the whole Christian life, right? Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he says this, you shall love the Lord your God. What does that look like? You know, with what part of me should I love him? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul. Let it be zealous, right? Let it be passionate. Let it be deep. Let it be solid. Let it come from the deep places. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. Not a little bit of it. Not a little corner of it, not a little slice every now and then. I'll think about something, you know, or like, oh, that's, that's a little bit of work. You know, I only do this much spiritual work, you know, because i got to think for my work and i got to think for this. So I don't want to think too hard about the things of God. It should be easy. No, it shouldn't. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. It says love him with all of your mind. The resource of your mind should be bent, right? The right, the, the, the right subject or object of, our, of, of the the study of the people of God should be God. And, and the mind, you should to love him with all of your mind is to bend all of your faculties, and mind and strength, which can be your life, or it can be all of your faculties, your abilities, should be bent toward growing. In fact, he says it in many places in your Paul says that you will be growing in the knowledge of God. To know him, and yes, that's to know him relationally. Yes, it is to be a relational growing, but that relational growing, do you not understand, it depends almost entirely on your head knowledge growing? Why? Because how do you know God? Now, I know some of us are going to go down to, I experience him in prayer, and I'm I'm not going to deny that we have a, a relationship with him that is spiritual and experiential, but I'll tell you this. To the degree that it is not completely, utterly founded on and flowing from the Word of God, it can become a blasphemous, idolatrous thing. Why? Because we shouldn't have thoughts in our mind about God that aren't biblical. We should have thoughts in our mind about the ways of things going in the world, the way God works in our mind, that aren't biblical. The God who I fellowship with, I I fellowship with Him in His goodness. How do I know He's good? His Word says so. I fellowship with a God who is sovereign. I respond to him in all the things that go on in my life. Like a God who is sovereign. How do I know that he's sovereign? Well, his word tells me. And there are stories and there are ways that it's taught. And that, it, that the more I know it, the more it saturates me. And the more I respond biblically to my world and to my experiences and to a sovereign God. And all of these things that we want to know about him are here. You can't, the God you relate to is revealed here. And yes, we relate in this personal level, but it is, all, it is the two together. It's that heat and light together that makes us biblical Christians. Jesus said, love him with all of your heart, but with all your mind too. Let there be heat and light together. Let there be zeal and knowledge together. Let there be understanding and passion together. Use your mind and let it light your heart on fire. 
verse 1 here, he told us that in light of the mercies of God described in Romans 1 to 11, in light of the mercies of God, our rational and spiritual, logical, the word underneath, they're translating it spiritual here because it's internal and they know that's kind of where it's getting at. But the literal word Greek there, I told you when we preached this a few weeks ago, is the word logic. It is the logical response. It's, the, it's your it's where you arrive rationally, but it's a spiritual response, which in these aren't divided. They shouldn't be. We should have a spiritual mind. The mind, we should have a spiritual mind that is married to the things of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, according to the Word of God. It is our spiritual response to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, that is to surrender ourselves, heart and mind, heart and soul, mind and strength, to offer ourselves to Him, to live for Him. And in verse 2, he gives us a picture of what that looks like, which is a picture of sanctification. Sanctification is to be more and more set apart from the world and the desires of yourself and flesh and more and more to the mind of God, the will of God, and then our own shaping in his image. That's sanctification, to be more and more like Jesus, more and more like him. Jesus is God. He is the invisible image of God made manifest in flesh. So he gives us his picture of sanctification in verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, negatively, right? But rather be transformed. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By, fascinatingly, he says, by the renewal of the mind. Don't be pressed into the world's mold, right? Don't be conformed to it. Something has to happen. Sanctification has to happen. You need to be transformed and changed. You need to be more like Jesus. How does this happen, Paul? By... He says, the renewal of the mind. It's only then, when the mind is renewed, that you can test and discern, right? So you're being pressed by the world, pressed into the world's mold, conformed to the world as it puts its pressure on us. How do I not be conformed to the world? He says, as your mind is renewed, you are able to test and discern what is God's will and God's way versus what is being pushed upon us. Pressed upon us. Every day, the pressure of the world on us. How do we know and discern the will of God, the good, the perfect, and acceptable will? He says, it's by the renewing of your minds. And I'm going to suggest, and this is where this whole thing goes, is according to the word of God. The mind is renewed according to God's word. And so the mind is every bit as important as the heart and the soul. There's, in the scripture, these things are never separated. I don't know, in our... Greek, extended, you know, historical way. We like to divide the mind and the heart and the soul and the this. And, right? But in the, in the Bible, when it talks about the heart, it's talking about the center of you, the core of you, and it involves your thinking, your feeling, your affections. It's you. It's not like your thinking's over here and your feeling's over here and these things are... What you think affects how you feel. You never notice that? If I think you've said something offensive, I feel offended. But if I think that, no, you didn't mean anything by that, all of a sudden I feel much better about it, right? If I think, the things we think, they absolutely affect how we feel. And the things that how we feel sometimes shape and overwhelm our thinking, right? I can't even think straight. I'm, I'm scared or I'm, I, I think something's going on inside of me. I have anxiety. There's some kind of brokenness in my life and now I'm having trouble thinking. And these things, there's no separation, all that is to say. We are a holistic thing. We are a mind, body, soul thing, right? And it's all we live out of this internal thing that is our heart, soul, mind, strength. That's you. Those four things that Jesus lists, that's you. That's you, right? In, in here, you know, the intangible, it's you. And they cannot be 
separated. So the renewal of our minds, he said, is one of the great keys of sanctification. Isn't that what he says? Offer yourself. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. How is this going to happen? By the renewal of our minds according to the will of God revealed in the Word of God. This is what you and I want. I think it's safe to say if you know Jesus, one of the great desires of your heart should be that I want to be more like Jesus. And if that's not one of the desires of your heart, I'm not sure you know him or your Bible. Because that is the great business of the Christian life, to follow him, which means to know his teaching and thinking, and to be conformed to it, to his person. But this requires, if, if the renewal of our minds is a key to sanctification, it requires a stewardship. Sometimes we think of stewardship and it's just in terms of money. That's how we think of stewardship. We do a stewardship campaign, we're talking about your money. Right? But money is an, is an important thing. It's an important aspect of discipleship. Jesus says so. You can't serve God in money. Right? And he said a whole bunch of other things about it, more about it than anything else. So stewardship is there, but stewardship is about all of your stuff. Like when he says love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right, that means that all of that belongs to him and should be stewarded in a way that honors and glorifies him, serves his purposes and his desires and designs. So steward, we got to steward our money, we got to steward our time. A certain amount of it ought to belong to God and show the priorities of the kingdom and the king. We also are stewarding our, our strength. It's in that list of what we give ourselves to in terms of our time and our work. There's a stewardship of God with it in, in our minds. All of these things should be surrendered for his use and for his purpose. We said that's what holy means. It means to be set apart for a specific thing, you know, and in this sense, to be holy in the Bible means set apart for the worship and service of God. And all of these things, if you are his, are offered as a living sacrifice to live for him, and these things belong to him. Dallas Willard says that our thoughts are the place where we can, can, and must begin to change. Right? Our thoughts are the place where we can and we must begin to change. So many of our problems are that we believe lies, or we just don't know the truth. And we go on living, and we believe certain things, and they're not they're wrong. They're not, the Bible says they're wrong, but we don't know because we don't know our Bibles, and so we believe a lot of lies. There are a lot of lies you believe about ourselves. A lot of our struggles and our internal problems are that we don't understand the Word of God, our identity in Christ. So many of our problems in life, we don't understand the Word of God and what He said in terms of how to do this, how to handle our money, how to handle these things. Right? We don't know the Word of God, and so we live either in ignorance, and when we're ignorant, we tend to believe the going thing. We're pressed into the world's mold. We believe the going thing. Whatever's, you know, we just believe what's in the air, in the culture, in the society, what's being taught. And we end up believing lives and we don't know. Why? Because we're not conformed to the Word of God. Thoughts are the place where we can and must begin to change. The ultimate freedom that we have as human beings, the ultimate freedom is the power to select what we will allow and require our minds to dwell on. And this, he says, is at the heart of sanctification of transformation, not just of mind then, but of life. So the renewal of the mind, my second point there then, is, is, is by the mind of God. Uh, the renewal of the mind is by the word of God. Somehow I think we, we lose this, and 
So many of our Bibles either collect dust or don't get the attention that they should, and so many opportunities that we have to grow in this area are neglected. Because I think at some point we have somewhere lost the connection between we've got the Bible, but then we've got, we come in here sermons and we do think, you know, there's a Bible and that's good. But it is not, it's not at the center of your life, right? And somewhere this is the heart of sanctification is the renewal of the mind by the word of God. And that's not a half hour sermon every week or 40 minutes if I'm honest. It's not maybe 45 some weeks. I, I try to, you know, anyway. So... It takes more, which is why I'm going to do a third sermon on this series to say, what does it take to go down this road? And, but I'm going to go down the road just to finish talking about how this works. The transformation is the radical change we want. Don't be pressed into the world's mold, but be transformed. We said metamorphosis is a word underneath there. Be, be radically changed, like a caterpillar to a butterfly, from being a friend of the world to being a friend of God, right? To being someone who is believing the lives of the world is someone who is conforming his mind and his life to the word of God. It's a, it's a radical change, and he says, and it begins by the renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind, I connected this to repentance last week. Because the word repentance literally means meta, is two Greek words, metanoia. We heard a metamorphosis, big change. And repentance, the word we have repentance is simply meta, change, your noia, your mind. Metanoia, change, it's, repentance literally is a change of your mind. So that you were doing this and thinking this way and acting this way and you change your mind and you go in a different direction and you live a different way and you learn to think a different way. And so the whole idea that we think of repentance, it is to turn from our sin and to turn from God. But the Bible, God places that turn in your mind, in your head. God does this, right? It is God who does this. It is the Spirit of God who transforms the people of God by the power of God, but He does it according to the Word of God. That's how He does it. That's the tool. He inspired it. We have it because the Holy Spirit inspired it to give to who? To us, the church. So how do we understand it? How does it have any power in our life? Because the Spirit of God, who inspired the Word of God, illuminates the mind of God's people and lives in His people and dwells in us and brings that Word to life, applies it to our souls, leads us to repentance so that we change the way we think and we change the way we live. But it's the Spirit of God in the Word of God by His power changing God's people. Did you know that the word disciple in the Bible, what's the, what is that word underneath disciple? And it means sort of the same thing in English. Sometimes the English word isn't the same as we say, like church. What does church mean? There's, there's no word church in the Bible. Church, there's no English word. It's a word that comes from all the, you know. But in the Greek underneath, there's ecclesia. And it means the gathered people. It means the gathered ones. That's the word. Here, the word is pretty close. Mathetes. The word is, about, is, is a word for what they use for a student, a learner. Right? So a disciple, are you a disciple of Jesus? Then you're his student. That's what the word disciple means. Are you a follower of Jesus? Is what it means to follow Jesus. That you're a learner, you, you follow him means that you listen to his teaching, you, you, you understand what he's saying, and you say yes to it, and then you change your life to go to it. You remember the Sermon on the Mount, he does this. He teaches the whole Sermon on the Mount. Right? And he gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount and he tells a little parable to bring the Sermon on the Mount home into the minds of his hearers. And what does he say? He says, you know, let me tell you a story about two different guys. One built his house on the sand. And when the storm came, his house collapsed utterly. There's another man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came, his house stood. And it endured. Right? And he says, 
What is the rock in that story? I do this in new members class. So all of you know, you know, it's not Jesus at this point. He is a rock, and the Bible does go. But in this story, he says, the, the man or woman who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the man who built his house on the rock. But the one who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, he's building on sand. Your life is going to collapse. You know, to be a hearer, this is why James says, don't be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Or you're just building on sand. Right? Your life has got to change. As a result of preaching or a result of your Bible study or a result of everything, your, your life needs to change from what it was to conform to what we're hearing and what we're reading here in the word of God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are literally a student. Your job is to know what he's teaching, follow his teaching, and conform your life to his life. And that's what it means to follow him, is to walk in his footsteps, think his thoughts after him, and let those thoughts become your thoughts. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7 says this, These commandments that I've given to you today, these words that I've given you today, they're to be upon your hearts. I like that phrase. So he goes on to say, you know, you're to impress them on your children, but before you can impress them on your children, and don't miss this, parents, because this is a key to your, your children learning these things from you, is this, they have to be impressed upon your heart. If, if they are not upon your heart and you're teaching your kids and they see your life and your thinking is disconnected from that, is different from that, is contrary to that, don't think your children, your children aren't going to follow what you say. They're going to follow who you are and what you do. And you can say it all day long, but if you're doing something different, then that's what they're going to follow. It's just the way it is. It's often more caught than it is taught. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't teach it. I'm just saying you, should, you need to make your life match, right? We need to impress these things that the commandments, the, the word he's given us needs to be upon my heart. So it's shaping my life, and it's what I love, and it's what I do, and it's what I believe and I'm trying to live according it to my children see that. And so that as I go to impress it, impress them on your children. There's a reality to it. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. This word that God is giving his people, as he gave throughout the the first five books of the scripture, which a lot of this is, is fixed upon, he says, this teaching that I'm giving to you, fix it upon your own heart. It needs to be upon your heart. But upon your heart is that next step from knowing them in your head to believing it and loving it and living it and so that it becomes you. It's assimilated. It's upon your heart means you need to assimilate it so that it's what you love and it's what you do. To impress it on our children, and then he says, give, to, it should give shape to our homes, right? They said, talk about it when you're at home. Do it when you're along the road, you know. Do it when you're getting up and lying down. In other words, it should give shape to our homes and our days and our nights and our relationships. should all be informed by the Word of God and should all be about, you know, let's talk about it. When things are going wrong at home, what should we talk about? The Word of God, what's going wrong? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to be more like Jesus? Psalm 119, says this. Through your precepts. Psalm 119 uses like 10 different words for God's word. He uses commands, precepts, you know, his word, his law, his, you know, there's like 10 of them. So in any of them, you just take it and just say they're all synonyms to say his word. God's word. So he says, through your word, through your precepts, through your word, I get understanding. Light. I get light. 
and need light in the darkness of this world and its ways and its lies and its decay. I need light, right? And your word, through your precept, through your words, I get that light. I get that understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. How am I going to not be conformed to the world? By getting the light of God's word in my mind so that I know lies and reject them and not find my life conformed to them. Right? I, I, so I reject, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. This is discerning God's will. This is where I'm hoping you'll see maps on here. Don't be conformed to the world. I hate every false way. Rather, by the renewal of your mind, your precepts, they give me understanding. Why? So that I can discern the will of God and to do it, right? Which is, he says, so that it's a lamp under my feet and under my path. That, that, in other words, it shows me how to live and how to go, how to walk in this world. I discern the will of God and I do the will of God. I walk in the light of what I see. So what I'm saying is this. We need to let the mind of God Renew our minds. And the mind of God is revealed in the Word of God. Right? So we think about this so often as a book of rules or a book of stories or a book of whatever. But you should always think in your head as you open the Scripture, here God reveals Himself to His people. Here we get to know God Himself. The sovereign one, the good one, the faithful one. He's taught to us. We see him interacting with his people throughout history, and we get to know him. And we re- he reveals himself in precepts, in statements, in the indicative. He is sovereign. He is the Holy One. There is no other God beside him. Right? These, these, these things that the Scripture tells us and we know. So this is the mind of God here, and he says that our minds are renewed by his mind. How are we to think about our sexuality and our gender? So the focus is here, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I bring these out, and we beat a drum, and right now it's the cultural drum beat, and I don't want to be in that go. But it is the thing. I, I literally, every time I turn on the news, I'm a little bit of a news hound, and I'm following the war and these things, these things. And so I watch a bunch. I do watch. I turn it on at different points of the day to capture. And every news cycle, there's something about this. The laws in which states, last night it was New Jersey, New Jersey, it's put in. There's a new curriculum coming in the fall, and it's going to teach our kindergartners, first and second, third graders, about gender fluidity and gender, you know, all this stuff. And, and I actually had a news anchor. One time I was called, true story, uh, we were in the other building, it was a number of years ago now, who called when some of these things were in the news for a piece of legislation that passed, and they called me up to say, how often do you preach on this issue? And I said, well, I preached on it just this last week. And she's like, wow, how often do you preach on it? I said, well, that's the first time I've ever preached on it. I said, the only reason I preached on it is because it's in the news. And it's being pressed by the culture on me all the time. It forces me to speak prophetically from God's word, the, the truth of his word. It forces me. And so some people say, well, all these churches, and just all we talk about it, we're just against them and out. No, I, we are under pressure literally every day. Every day under pressure to conform, under the threat of penalty in many places. And so that's why I speak. How do we think about these things? Because if you just watch the news and listen to your friends and go to school, you will absorb the thinking of the world. You will think and behave a certain way and approve certain things and maybe even toy with and play with things yourself. How do we 
conform to the mind of God on these things. And that should be our goal. And that should be what we should be asking ourselves. How do I conform to the word, to God's mind? In Philippians 2.5, if you remember, I'm going to preach this passage next week on Easter. Philippians 1 to 2, chapter 2, 1 to 11. But right in the middle of it, he says this, have this mind among yourselves. Think like this, you guys. As a church, as a community, as a people of God, among you, you should think like this. You should have this mind among you. You should have Christ's mind. Right? The mind of Jesus himself. Some people take that very <clears throat> mystically. You know, that we know that he's revealing himself to us and Again, I don't deny a certain amount of the way that he impresses things in our souls, but I'll tell you this, the way we know the mind, what does it even mean, the mind of Christ? What, what I think he means by that is to know his purpose, his intention, his understanding of things, what he loves, what he rejects, what he approves and what he disapproves, what he'll judge and what he'll praise, right? This is the mind of Christ. How do we know the mind of Christ? The Scripture, <laughs> Right? 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says the same thing. We have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Well, where is it? Because a lot of times I'm looking around at what people think and what people believe in the church, and I'm like, that is not the mind of Jesus. That is not the mind of the Scripture. Where is this mind that we have? And I would suggest to you it's revealed right here. That, it is, that he has revealed his mind to us on these things. That he has told us who he is and what he loves and what he wants And as we fellowship with him and we know him and we love him and we worship with him and we pray to him, we can pray according to the will of God because we know what it is. We're not guessing. The mind of Christ has been given to us. This is what Jesus said in John 15. I quoted this last week too. He said, I've called you friends. What makes us the friends of Jesus? Well, we know his mind. What is his mind? He said, everything I've heard from the Father, I've made it known to you. That's what a friend, you know, what makes us his friends is that he, made his, he makes the mind of the Father known to us. He tells us the will of God. We don't have to guess. He tells us what makes the Father unhappy. He tells us what it means to follow him and to worship him. He tells us all. He's, we have the mind of Christ. He has given it to us because we're his friends. And so as his friends, and this is where I'm driving home to you, that the love letter, the mind of God has been put in your hands. Literally. God has spoken. Can we afford not to listen? And given where everything is going, I would say we cannot afford not to be listening. Every day in the Word of God. To be His friends, to be His disciples, is to have His Word upon our hearts. Upon our hearts. And to love it and to follow it. So what I'm talking about is a biblical worldview. A lot of you talk in those terms and we say, and a lot of people lament that too. I've got a stack of books on the Christian mind this high. I kid you not. All on the Christian mind. Having the Christian mind. Christian worldview. Opening the Christian mind. All about it. And most of them lament the fact that church has lost a Christian mind. We no longer think biblically on things. We, we believe points of things. We have a list of things we believe. But We're not saturated with the way the Bible thinks and have a full full out on the whole counsel of God on things where we actually think biblically about stuff. We have to say this, that according to the Bible, what the culture celebrates is progress. We hear so much about the progressive 
agenda. And what, what the, the culture celebrates is progress. And I have to say, it's progressing toward what? Right? It's, they say, well, it's moving us ahead, like from the past or something. I mean, maybe it's just chronological progress, you know, but it, it's progress. Well, what, the, what they're calling progress so often, the Bible calls moral decay, sin, brokenness, apostasy. Galatians 6, 7, 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap life. You sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. You sow to the Spirit, you, you, you reap life. And you remember Romans 8 just a minute ago? A few months ago, we went through Romans 8, 6 and 7. It says, the mind that is set on the flesh is death, and the mind that is set on the spirit is life. And again, here with the flesh and the spirit and sowing to either one, which one you sow to depends on which one your mind is set on. The mind set. The mind set where you live. See, if the world believes and lives lies... And we believe them, and the problem is we become part of the problem. We believe them, we think them, we may dabble in them, but we also pass them on, and we approve other people that believe them. If we aren't, you know, speaking truth and holding to it, and we become part of this problem, and we can cause real hurt and pain, it's real hurt and pain. It is, Proverbs fourteen twelve says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. We live in a world, there are a lot of ways that seem right to our culture and our society right now that lead to death. They lead to pain. They lead to brokenness because they're contrary to the mind of God. What is God's mind on these things from creation and through history and in Christ and recreating us in his image? See, if we're not soaked in and shaped by the thinking and living according to the mind of Christ in ways, subtle ways that we don't know, we will be conformed to the world. I'll just point out in Colossians 3, 1 to 17, is about sanctification. What we're talking about is sanctification and that it begins in the mind. And the mind is important. In Colossians 3, 1 to 17, is all about sanctification, putting off and putting on. And it starts in verse 1, though, and 2, it says, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your minds on things above. Not on, and I love that he does it. Again, there's heat and there's light. Right? Don't just set your hearts. Set your mind. Right? And the two are married. And he does them parallel because he wants to understand it's the whole you. Set your heart on the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Know the things of God. Believe and love the things of God. Worship God as sovereign and as king and as the Lord of all these things. Let his word judge our word. Let his way, which is higher than ours, judge our way. Let his thought, which is the creator's thought and the design of his, all that he has done, let that thought shape our thought. And then he says in verses 16 and 17 of Colossians 3, and then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? The word, that's light, that's mind. I know the word is the word spoken. It goes into my ears and into my head. I hear it. It's, it's a, let this word that comes from the scripture be upon our hearts. <laughs> right? Let it dwell in us richly. Let, it know, let us know it and let it love it and, sh- and let it shape us. Let it dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing mind, one another with wisdom, mind, 
right? Let this dominate your thinking, your, or your mindset, your orientation, and what will it do? Then you'll be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. You'll be singing. There'll be thankfulness in your heart, flowing from the heart upon which the Word of God is upon our hearts, dwelling richly, will come worship of the God of the Bible. <laughs> because it is the one that is revealed here that we worship and not some fabrication in our heads. In our culture, as far as they're thinking thoughts that are not biblical about God, it's idolatry. To have a renewed mind, we have to have the mind of Christ. To have the mind of Christ, we have to think biblically about everything. Jump ahead to my last point then. The mind of God. The renewal of the mind is a renewal into the image of God. All of this that we're talking about is sanctification. Surrendering ourselves as a living sacrifice to live for Him, and we do that by not conforming to the world, but being transformed, and that's happening by the renewing of our minds as we're shaped in it, and we're able to discern and to do and to live the will of God, right? Sanctification, the shaping and the formation of our heart and mind by the Word of God should be the goal of your life, the great business of your life. Your, your next, next time we talk about this, it'll be talking about the rhythms of your life and whether they pursue this goal or whether our crazy busyness is going to condemn us to a shallow life that is as much conformed to the world as it is to the Word. Ephesians 2, I read it last time, we're talking about putting off the old self that is being deceived and corrupted by the world. And he says, but rather be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on a new self. And this, this renewal in the spirit of the mind and the new self that it is, what is it? It is the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's, the, it's being renewed. See, in the fall, the image of God was broken. And in Christ and by the Spirit and through the Word, we are being remade into the image of God. And the renewing of our minds is to renew it according He's given us His mind to renew our minds so they think like His mind about all these things, including Him in our worship. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them. All right, how do we get sanctified, Lord Jesus? Well, it's the truth. Well, where do we get this truth? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is where our sanctification lies, right? Not just in reading it in a mechanical thing, and this is what I want to talk about next time, is to spend time with God in His word. Where he's revealing himself to us and we're responding to him and we're being shaped by it. This is Jesus' prayer. If you don't know John 17, is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. He's leaving. He prays not only for the ones hearing, but for those who will believe after him. And as he's praying for his people, he prays this, that you will sanctify my people in the truth and your word is truth. Set them apart, change them, transform them into a new mind. And this happens, he says, in the truth which is your word. I don't know, how do you treat the Word of God? And I mean Monday to Saturday, morning, night, and noon. Like, where is it in your life? What part does it play? How significant is it? Is it upon your heart? And if it isn't, how is it getting there? How is it supposed to get there? 2 Corinthians, I'll end with this. 2 Corinthians 10 gives us this, this image we often think of spiritual warfare, right? Because it's a passage about warfare. 
And the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. And we think of, you know, probably most of us think, and maybe you don't, maybe I'm projecting. But a lot of times I hear it talked about, and it's, it's speaking about this very uh, abstract spiritual warfare that we're fighting. But listen to the actual passage. He says this, the weapons of our warfare, they are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to do what? Destroy strongholds. Okay, spiritual strongholds. Let's pull, what well, does do that? We destroy, what are those strongholds? We destroy arguments, lofty opinions, any of these things, thinking that is raised against the knowledge of God, which we only have in the Scripture. And then we take every thought captive. It's about your mind and about what you think and the thoughts you think and whether they're God's thoughts or the world's thoughts. The weapons of our warfare, according to the word of God and the spirit of God, in the power of God, changing God's people. See, our entrenched wrong thinking is strongholds, and the strongholds that are in our culture that we get sucked into, and and it says that these thoughts have to be torn down and taken captive to Christ, that is the mind of Christ, and conformed to his word. We need to repent Metanoia, change our minds about things that seem right to us and rather discover what is the mind of God on these things. If the mind of Christ is going to dwell in us richly, it's going to mean some life changes. Ones that modern people don't talk about and don't like and typically don't do. We live too fast to have that word dwell in us richly. And we'll talk about that next time. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. It is. It divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and it, it exposes us before the one with whom we have to do. I pray this morning that your church would be split open and that we would be exposed in the lies that we believe and the laziness that we exhibit when it comes to your word. Because here, you show us you. Let us see you. Let us know you. Let us know your mind. Let us think your thoughts after you. And by your spirit, write them on our souls and capture our imaginations. And so change our lives and our living, our marriages and our parenting, our working and our engagements, our counsel and what we say to others that it would be wisdom according to the will of God, your will revealed in your word. For We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.